this is Terry Gibbons, the CEO and founder of the Center for Higher Education Leadership. And today I'm talking to Phil Komarni. And Phil is one of my favorite people because we always have fantastic conversations about uh, higher ed and the future of work and, and blockchain and things like that. So today we're just going to have a very wide ranging conversation, but I think it'll be of great interest to higher ed leaders. Um, we have a lot to talk about. Um, in terms of what's going on with educational technology, and Phil is a fantastic person to talk about those issues with. So, Phil, can you give us a little bit of your background? Wow, thanks Thanks for having me, Terry. Thanks for the really uh, beautiful introduction, too. I, I appreciate that. And you're one of my favorite people, too. I love our conversations. But, uh, yeah, I've been, I have a little introduction. I've been uh, in the ed space or ed tech space for about 20 years. I, I was started out as a... CIO at a small little university out Western Pennsylvania called Seton Hill University, where we were the first school in the country to do iPads for everybody. So I've always seen emergent technology as a catalyst, not to just create a shiny object or just, you know, just a point solution, but how can you use those, those moments in technological history to kind of reshape the way the business could function, the way that we could really interact with our students. So we, we use that bring your own device um, you know, difference to kind of shape that, shape that learning environment at Seton Hill. And it was you know, really great uh, outcomes from that. Uh, moved on from there to, I uh, was the CEO of a, a small, uh, well small, now they're kind of large, a, a mobile application development company named Robots and Pencils. Started their US operation with two, uh, Two, um, two offices, one in Colorado and one in Austin, Texas. We, we, we did a lot of work with the University of Texas around uh, the future of learning with the Institute of Transformational Learning and delivered an application that allowed existing technologies like Canvas and the things we have in our, in our world today to be used in a way that would give a competency-based system and allow the a BS in biomedical sciences degree to be uh, consumed in a different way. There's great mm -hmm. outcome data we could talk through there. And then I actually <laughs> so moved on to the, to the UT system as their chief digital officer for a while at the right. Institute of Transformational Learning. And now the vice president of innovation at Salesforce, where I'm kind of focused on uh, just innovation across every market sector. But I really love education. I love the, 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 the state, the, the industries. And right now, I think it's not, it's an opportunity to really uh, advance it and shape it into a way we can reach about 44 million more people with this with with higher education so that's where I'm focused on right now yeah that's really great um, and it's really interesting because I talked to a lot of people who think that you know higher ed is in decline and you know things like that and you know the reality is if you look at the other side of it there's all these people who you may be even have a degree already and yet they need to reskill and so you know I was at ASU GSV, we both were, and there was a lot of discussion about the future of work and you know how we can really upskill people even after they may have gotten a degree and how colleges can use things like blockchain technology to you know focus more on skills and um, badges and things that can help people show potential employers what they've really learned along the way and beyond uh, college. Right. Now, I think we have a, again, we have a catalytic moment with technology now around, uh, I think it's like a, around integrations. And I think mm -hmm. the way, way, way we integrate technologies is becoming more, I want to say democratized. It's a loaded word, but we're seeing a lot easier ways for CIOs or technical leaders on these campuses to not have to really invest in one vendor's product, but really think about not 
when you invest in a vendor's product, just one product to so solve one problem, it's like they're putting you, you're, you're making that technical leader the conductor of a train. Mm -hmm. And those, those rails that are delivered by that vendor allow you to go faster or slower. And really, you really don't have much opportunity to really shape this digital transformation. I think that's where we're in the state right now across every industry about how can you get closer to your customer with, with, with technologies and make it more, more, more seamless and more integrated. So this is an opportunity to not be a conductor of a train, but be a conductor of like a symphony and have integrations that bring all that music together to really service this and make beautiful music for your customers. I think those, that analogy has been really a way to kind of convey the, the difference in thinking about, you know, compared from platform thinking to product thinking. And I think if you're really co concerned about digital transformation or really using these technologies into the future, technical leaders across every sector are really thinking integration first or thinking cloud first when they're, when they're really getting into these transformational moments with their, with their businesses. So I think Ed's, Ed's in that same space right now. Absolutely. Um, can you break that down a little bit for us, Phil? Because I think sometimes for those of us who you know, are coming from a non-technical background, it's, it's a little hard to grasp what, you know, what does that integration look like? Sure. So I, 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 the best way I can do is talk through like actual ways that yeah. I've done this before. So at Seton Hill University, we, had, we, were, we, were, uh, we were a Genzibar customer, so a big ERP in the space. Uh, Genzibar is one of them. And, and we had LMSs like Canvas and Blackboard had multiple LMSs. Most campuses do have a lot of these systems, these enterprise systems, student information systems and learning management systems. And then they have, you know, different things for career services and, and coaching. So all these things have, you know, the student's best interest in mind, but it really has a very bifurcated experience. It's very very it never feels cohesive so trying to trying you know to really own that experience there's really nothing in the market you can buy and say i want to go i want this experience for my my students and really you just can't just go purchase it so how can you how can you take the data that really would service that experience and be able to move it into a place that would service that student i think that's a crm because when you start to think about relationship management, you have to have that really great data set or that profile of that learner to be able to interact with them in, in a very you know, cohesive way instead of very point solution way. So taking that data in service of a learner and building a profile of them is the way we were able to take you know, this very different approach with mobile devices in 2010 and 11. This was like, now it's commonplace. But back then, people were kicking these iOS devices off campuses because they had DHEC problems, and they were so new, and BYOD was so new. But, we, but in, instead of kicking that off a of campus, trying to use that to allow that to be the place where your students interacted with you. So now we had a profile and had all this data flowing in to build this representation of who we were working with or who, were, who our students were, and then being able to have that data in one place and have all these experiences come to the student instead of them going to the experiences. And that's about as, you know, that's uh, as esoteric as I can put it without getting more technical. But uh, I, I, and now I think uh, with blockchain and, and things like that as we move forward is the next big catalytic moment because it starts to speak to trust. And how can we trust that that information that we're seeing is true and valid? And that's, if, if we think about blockchains, and it's such a loaded word because there's so much confusing in the world around cryptocurrencies and things like that. When I say blockchain, I like to talk about an ethical way to use consented data. 
That's what blockchain means to me, is if we have a way for a student to rep have a, a, a network that they can validate, the validated data is in their control and it can't be changed, so it's a way to trust it. That, I think that's the big next catalyst that we're going to use to shape this, shape this industry with or shape the, shape the way we can get, reach more people and make it a more equitable future for learning. I think we have to if we want right. to succeed in this future. Right, because I really think rather than, you know, despite the fact that, you know, you, you can look at the demographics and the number of, you know, potential college students, 18 to 24 is declining. I think right. the actual number of learners is increasing because, oh yeah, for sure. We, you know, we've got so many people who really need to, to get better skills and to get that validated, like you, you're saying with, um, you know, uh, blockchain types of badges and so on. Right. And so <clears throat> um, I guess, you know, one of the, the issues though for people in higher ed is, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, um, a kind of a, a lack of focus on that integration, you know, that, that data transformation that will oh. allow for, because, you know, we see all these colleges that are closing, right? And, right. Um, you know, the question is, why can't they, you know, get this figured out? I mean, what are some of the hurdles you're seeing out there besides just lack of knowledge <laughs> that's uh, keeping campuses from being able to to create this expansion yeah i, I you know what I, if there's a lot of reasons but from a technical aspect i think it's a lot of data silos and we just keep we just keep installing them left right and center on campuses like mm -hmm. there's a really great solution for this and it works great for a, for one department and it really might you know drive their success for that department very well but you really i think today Leadership has to think very strategically about what this means and what data ethics means long term and how we can use these new methodologies and new protocols to kind of shape the way we can interact with that data. It's not a, it's not a time for point solutions. It really is a time for platforms. That's why I'm happy to, I, I love my job. I love where I work. I love our company because of the way we think about, the way we think about platform and the way we empower customers and communities to use this use this kind of technology and this this communal way to use this technology to come together and start to solve this at scale not not for one university but right. the like this universal this this record we're working uh with with arizona state they call it universal learning michael crow is very famous for for coining that phrase yep. and, and uh trying to say what, what would that record look like what would it contain not just mm -hmm. not just what we would capture and from learning and what the outcomes would be but what does the aspirational journey look like how could a student or a learner say like this is where i'm at but this is where i want to go right and being able to make that computable today we don't have that ability today i think that's very in our near-term future we'll be able to model that you know in a way that that allows that data to be uh transient with the learner and that's that will start to destroy some of these data silos we have and i think that will get us into a place where we can reach more people right i agree and i, I think the cloud is obviously the place where this is going to happen and it's really interesting because you know when i was the provost at menlo college my big frustration was that you know we i mean Salesforce wasn't a frustration. It was just that we had Salesforce as our CRM. And then we, for the registrar's office, we transitioned to Genzabar. And then right. for development, we transitioned to Blackbot. And each step along the way, you know, it was just a lot of work to get that data, you know, cleaned up and, and transitioned properly. And, and, you know, we'd lose data all the time. And so, you know, I think some kind of a solution that allows one to have just 
from the minute you contact that student mm -hmm. as a potential, you know, uh, ad admitted student, that that's there's one record that follows the student all the way along. And, yep. you know, to a certain extent, that reaches back to high school. Well, sure and, does. you know, why shouldn't that record be? you know, started for that student in high school. And, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, so many kids, you know, who, who may want to do something other than college need that too, because they, they need to, you know, if they go to community college or a technical school or get some other, you know, go to a boot camp, whatever it may be, you know, we, we really need to find a way that is verifiable that they, you know, that this is what they've done and, and so on and um, make that something possible for them to, you know, move along the way. So, totally agree. Um, and that's that's the second part of the proof of concept we work with Arizona State on around this universal learning record. They're calling they call it. But mm -hmm. what's what's the what's the high school component of that? What does that look like? So right. I think it's, when we're talking about lifelong learning, we need to really think lifelong. And mm -hmm. you know, I I always reflect on that that famous quote from Toffler that says, you know, twenty first century. Illiteracy is defined by the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn, not by the ability to read and write. We really have to get into that mindset where it's, it's a constant learning cycle. Even when you're in, in your role someday in a career, I constantly learn. I've learned, oh, yeah. I learn things constantly. <laughs> I don't, I, we have to just be okay with that. And I yeah. think that we can start to set up systems that make that way less frictionful and start to show that value, not just to, not just to the student, but to the, the university and to the businesses in which this is actually going to affect someday. So that's, right. that, that's why I think this all comes together that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's um, definitely the direction we're going. I think the issue of silos is a big one um, yeah. because, you know, part of it, but, it, you know, I think it comes back to, you know, for example, with the way we budget things, um, you know, right. if, if academic leaders can start thinking more broadly in terms of, you know, breaking down the silos between, you know, departments and uh, colleges within big universities. Um, you know, we were both at the University of Texas. I was at the University of Texas at Austin. And one of the challenges I faced there as the vice provost for undergraduate curriculum and international was just, you know, being able to get people to talk across. And it's very possible. We, we were able to talk across those silos when it came to things like collaborating around international activities, um, getting people to, I mean, one of, one of my favorite things I did when I was at UT Austin was I actually got the, the assistant deans of each college to talk to each other about curriculum changes so that they, so that when it got to my office, the issues were already dealt with, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, it really, you know, people get concerned about, oh, you know, this, these administrators, but, you know, that's the administrator's job is to make sure that, you know, people are talking across a campus, and right. in this era of, of data transformation, it's, it's one of the most critical things, I think, that's happening on college campuses right now is this process of figuring out what to do with student data. Um, you know, we have, you know, there's a whole other area of assessment that I won't get into right now, but, um, you know, but actually this whole, what we're talking about in terms of the universal lunar and the, the data record that goes e with each student will be critical for our assessment processes going forward. I mean, you know, being able to figure out, um, you know, is our students learning what we say they're learning? I <laughs> you know? know, exactly, exactly. So there, there, this has implications for so much of what we do day to day on a college campus, inclu including developing and, and refining curriculum. 
Um, that's, a, that's such a great point, Terry, because that's, that's exactly why this isn't something that is technical. This isn't about technology. Mm-hmm. It's, about the, it's about the institution visioning this, this future state, like together. This isn't something that can be done out of admissions. It can't be done out of retention. No. It can't be done out of curricular design or the provost's office. It has to be done as a team, but thinking that North Star has to be that lifelong learning record or that lifelong learner. How are you going to support that? I don't think that I've, I've worked on, you know, I worked at a small liberal arts institution. I've worked at, you know, the UT system as well. So it's a big differences there. But like you're yeah. saying, even at those, those 40 acres that you worked on, and mm-hmm. I, you know, that I was, I, you know, I was blessed to work there as well in, in Austin. Mm-hmm. And just to hear, just to see how much goodness is in those, all the, everybody there to serve those students. But mm-hmm. there, I mean, I know the kind of technological, you know, infrastructure that's there. And I understand how that precludes them from doing certain things. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's all across our industry today. That's not just one thing at UT Austin. That's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, if we, if the one, the people that are succeeding, that I see succeeding in this space, like that are, are really, just really coming at it with a very cohesive, like, idea or strategy like Hunt Lambert at distance and continuing at Harvard where he's thinking about this as a lifelong journey with education and really changing the dynamic there about you know this 75 to 80 percent five percent that we call the non-traditional market this is like mm-hmm. like these adult learners that he's servicing is really the really not traditional but really the majority of the market today and he's right. finding new ways to service them not by taking what he inherited five years ago but really taking what he inherited and using CRM to really really augment the way he's really reaching out and, and interacting with learners across what he's saying a lifetime or 60 years. Right. So that that's, I think it's a, it's such an opportunity for leadership today. It's it, everybody's all, it seems like scared stiff around mm-hmm. having this conversation, but it's such a, it's such a great conversation to have. And it's, it's, it can be solved in many different ways, but it does bring the, the leadership together and have a conversation that starts with, lifelong learning, not four years and we fire our customer. That's, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> sometimes, you know, I know it's a, a joke, but that's how, you know, I'm talking from students' perspectives. That's what I hear from them is right. how they feel about it. Yeah. So that's the, that's the challenge, but that's also the opportunity in front of everybody. Well, it's not only that you know, we're firing them after four or five or sometimes six years, but yeah. we're expecting them to give back, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and that's, you know, I think that if we change the mindset, it will also help students understand why it's important to give back. Cause exactly. Not, you know, it's not only the, you know, students coming after them that are going to benefit. It's also, they will benefit by exactly. helping to support their institution because right. someday they're going to want to come back. And, you know, I mean, I wish, you know, Stanford, you know, there's a lot of continuing education programs out there and so on, but, you know, I'm a Stanford uh, alum uh, sure. and, you know, I've gone online and checked out some of their design thinking stuff, but, you know, I would, it would be great, you know, cause I have the time now to go and take a class on marketing, you know, I'm, I'm exactly. running a new company um, right. or, you know, I know they, and, and, you know, there are things like executive education and, and so on, but I think what people are really looking for, I know for me personally, it would be nice to have, you know, just really compact programs and, you know, there, there do, some of these do exist online, but um, that was actually connected to my Stanford degree. You know? Yeah, would that be nice? I mean, we've, I've heard that across the industry too. When we, we have these conversations, like I'm blessed to be able to have these conversations with leadership. You know, a lot of our customers are thinking this way, Georgetown, a lot of schools are taking this tact and thinking like customer 360 or learner 360 and what does that look like mm-hmm. and I think 
around, like just, just around that concept alone, there's so much opportunity to, again, not just your, while they're with you, while your students are with you, but what does that look like over their lifetime? And mm -hmm. how can you get that open loop of education to happen where they're always coming back to you? I worked with some, some folks on my team or MIT grads, and they, they, mm -hmm. we, we, we talk about this internally a lot because we, we love to talk about strategy. And, mm -hmm. and when, you, when, when, when my friends would basically say, you know, MIT asked me for, you know, a lot of time, mentorship, money through being an being alum, wouldn't it be great if I could just get journal reviews before they're peer reviewed or as they're being peer reviewed as a, as a resource because I'm a graduate as a community member. Those things aren't being like really, those chords aren't being played yet. But I think mm -hmm. we have a way to do that and show this uh, that where it's more aligned to uh, the future, what we think the future of their careers, but that's something that's not going to just stop there. It's going to be constantly be re-engaged there. So I, I think we're starting to model some of that with um, with my trailhead, the this mm -hmm. learning platform that we have at Salesforce that we train our own like ecosystem with for free. It's a mm -hmm. it's a system that's online. There's probably 13 million badges that have been issued where our our own ecosystem needs a lot of talent in it. So we're mm -hmm. training them for free, but now businesses are using that same interface to upskill or reskill their internal workforce. Mm -hmm. Now, I also think that provides a bridge for educators to think, wow, okay, there's this new method, there's this new modality we have inside of businesses that we're already working with, you know, upskilling, reskilling, offering them, offering them, uh, you know, continuing education programs. But how can we make that more tailored to a business or make it more contextual to a business? I mm -hmm. think those types of interfaces or those types of bridges, we're going to see those being built in the very near-term future. We have one of them, there's gonna be many of them. Uh, but you know, even with, with the announcement of ASU GSV within Stride and ASU and the RISE Fund, mm -hmm. when you see that kind of focus and that kind of money and that kind of attention being paid between at, at that space between academia and industry, I think mm -hmm. that's, that's where this real innovation lies. And yeah. how, does, how is it gonna affect both sides of that, of that um, chasm. So I, I, I think we're right in that, in that conversation today. And that's why I love what you're doing with your, your, your organization, you know, instantiating and, and, and allowing these uh, conversations to start and start yeah. to start to really gain momentum. And that's, that's what we need more than technology. We need conversations to happen with, with these kind of catalytic moments. And I think we'll, we, we, we all want a lifelong learning journey to happen for folks. We all want to do this. Yeah. But I think we all have to come together and understand that some of this underlying technology is going to be open for all of us to use. I mean, it has to be that way. Nobody, just like the internet started, Vince yeah. Cerf never patented TCP IP because mm -hmm. look what it gave us. It gave us this unbelievable thing because nobody ever owned it. Mm -hmm. I think we're in that space right now with this trusted network we're calling this, this, this trust network where validated data lives in service of learning. And that mm -hmm. person is, can, can consent to the use of it. And we, as an industry, can start to use it more ethically. And I think when it gets down to the very lowest end of this, I think ethical use of data is in our, it's in our, it's in our, you know, it's in our world today, but we're not solving for it. I think we, this is one solve for it through an academic sense that mm -hmm. would, would really give us one vector of a digital self that, right. that we would be able to use for our future. And right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that part of it will be, um, you know, that sharing between industry and you know, higher education and, you know, right. K through 12, frankly, because yeah, I'm seeing right. a lot of potential, um, 
use of these kinds of things in K through 12 as well. And yeah, with the student populations that I work with in my community work with the Boys and Girls Club of the Peninsula and so on, uh -huh. um, you know, we see a lot of need for, you know, these kinds of solutions. And it's going to be really critical for higher ed leaders to jump in and really start working on this in, in a very substantial way, because it's, it's really critical for the future, you know, especially given the way the student populations are changing, not only in terms of, you know, lifelong learning, but also just the, the demographics and the well, needs of the students. And, you know, I'm, I really appreciate the fact that Salesforce and, and you are really taking a, a lead on a, a lot of these uh, issues. But, you know, we're going to continue this conversation at some point because um, there'll be lots of new ways to look at it. And so, Bill, I, I we're at 30 minutes here, so I'm going to, um, uh, we could continue talking, I'm sure, for another couple of hours about this stuff. <laughs> That's usually how our conversations go. So I, can't yes. we, I can't believe we kept it to a half an hour. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so thanks so much for this conversation. And I, I really do want it to continue. We'll check in again. And um, just, you know, as always, I get really excited uh, when I talk to you about the future of higher education and the future uh -huh. of work. Uh, and the same with same with you, Terry. You're you're an amazing leader, and I really respect what you've done with uh, with what you're doing today. And I think it's so necessary. And I'd I'd love to help you out in any way I can. So as as you guys grow and, and start to uh, gain that momentum, I'd love to be involved. Fantastic. Well, thanks again. And for those of you who are listening, don't forget to check us out at www.higheredconnects.com for our newsletter and www.higheredleads.com for the Center for Higher Education Leadership. Thanks again and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thanks.